0: Riddler's asking for you. You came. Okay? Why is he writing to you? I don't know you You think you can stop what's going on. What have you done? Are you the Riddler's latest. It's all about the Waynes. will go. If you- Justice, please do not long for the sin. Brother. Have we the fire? Yes. the fire rises.
1: Oh welcome citizens of Gotham to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the dark night and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or maybe even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email at TFRBatPod at gmail.com. Now, my name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and we are finally here. We are at the end of the road. We have seen the batman and we are here to talk all about it and when i say we i mean of course myself and my co-host mr joseph fornerado joe welcome back how are you uh is your mind blown (laughs)
2: um my mind is blown and we are in that like almost like that that day after christmas little bit of uh not quite depression but it's like a little bit of a come down once the road is over and that ride is, you know, we, we've gotten to that point. It is kind of a little bit of a letdown, you know, once you see the movie, the journey's over, but it is luckily a positive experience and we get to, to enjoy it for years to come and, and we'll have a lot of fun talking about it.
1: Well, that, yeah, that's true. I mean, the sad thing, the sad thing about being in this spot now, now that we've seen the movie is we can never again, see it for the first time. And that's the, that's the sad part, but, the good part is it was not a disappointment. I think we can be fair. I, I I can't speak for you, but from the conversations we've had, I don't think you're you're disappointed. So, but before we're and we're going to talk all about the Batman. We're gonna uh, we're gonna give some spoiler free thoughts, and then we're gonna get full into the film. We'll give you guys a warning if you haven't seen it yet. We'll give you guys a warning about when we get into all of the spoilery goodness. But before we get to the Batman. Uh, This morning, a little clip was released and it was uh, it was to do with the fourth cinematic uh, Batman we're going to get this year. So uh, we got a little clip from the League of Super Pets and it was confirmed that Keanu Reeves is our Batman for the DC League of Super Pets. And I, I watched the clip this morning. Joe just watched it a few minutes ago. Joe, what did you think of this clip and what do you think of Keanu as Batman?
2: Well, I thought it was a lot of fun. And yet we weren't sure. I'm assuming we didn't know this ahead of time, if it was rumored or what, I don't remember hearing about it, but man, it's, it's funny how that's become like, I I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody, but that's almost like the forgotten film this year in DC. And I'm excited for it. Mm -hmm. And again, it's another cinematic Batman and it's just, it's amazing how like we just have so much Batman content this year and on top of that not even not to throw us for a loop here that's cinematic but we also have i for, I was thinking about this this morning the um that batmobile tv show is supposed to come out this year so we might even have another version of batman at some point
1: oh that's true i hadn't even thought about that uh yeah that's that's very true but we don't have any word on that yet but we do know that no. keanu's now i remember seeing keanu's name in the first in the very first little teaser they gave us, okay. um, I remember seeing his name, but it was never said who he was going to play. And now we have official confirmation that he is Batman. And in the clip, I think, I don't know. I it would it would definitely not work live action, but Keanu has a good voice for Batman, I think.
2: Well, not to throw you under the bus, but I know you're not the biggest Keanu Reeves fan. So, I, I'm
1: not. I'm not. There are things that I like him in and there're usually the way it goes is there are things I'm not really thrilled about. But I can say 100% that uh, I like I like what I heard in that clip this morning and I I think it will be hilarious bouncing between Keanu Reeves' Batman and Kevin Hart's Ace. That and for- that's from
2: got the me. Clip, from the clip too, like the show, it looks just like a, a blast of a movie. And are they playing it up like they can't hear the dogs talking? Like it would be almost like a like a Rugrats type of thing. I don't know if you watched that when you were a kid. Um, oh, I
1: did. Um, I'm so not sure. It seemed I couldn't like they were...
2: tell. I only watched it really quick.
1: Yeah, it seemed like he and Ace were having a conversation, but I'm not hundred percent sure.
2: Yeah, it looks like it's just going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yes. Excited. But anyway, yes. Uh, to add to Robert Pattinson and Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck, we are also getting Keanu Reeves sort of as Batman this year. So that's, that's very exciting, but let's get into the topic that we are here to discuss. We are here to talk about the brand new film from DC and Matt Reeves, the Batman. Um, Joe and I have both seen it uh more than once so (laughs) i feel like we are uh we are very well suited to discuss it so um before we get into spoilers so just in case anybody hasn't seen it yet and you're listening to this episode i don't know why you're doing that but if if that's the case we're gonna stay very spoiler free for just a few minutes here so joe uh give me your spoiler free thoughts on the batman
2: uh spoiler free thoughts well i was coming in kind of i don't want to say low expectations but i was kind of cautiously optimistic Mm -hmm. i was not crazy about a lot of the aesthetic choices but i i like matt reeves as a director i like everything i was hearing about the film as far as the detective stuff and and all that and i was just willing to go for whatever they were going to do And I was hoping that I would forget two minutes in that Robert Pattinson was Batman. I was going to forget about the suit. I was going to forget about the look of everything else. And I got to tell you, everything worked for me in context of this film. Uh, I forgot that that was Robert Pattinson. I even, because I wasn't crazy about the whole, you know, everyone was calling it the emo Bruce Wayne. I, I don't think that was what they did at all. I think that worked really well with the film. I never got that, that vibe throughout the film Mm -hmm. that everyone was worried about, I guess. Um, so everything really worked for me on the first viewing. I, I think, I think I said to you, and I've said it to a couple people, the movie feels long, but I was never bored it just feels long because it is a longer film and you're sitting in the movie theater so you notice it and i never looked at my phone to see what time it was while i was watching it so mm. i just i felt the length of it but it, i don't want to say that as a negative thing so i i enjoyed the length of the movie but i understand people saying ah it was a little long but for me personally i think this film worked great my second and third viewing it just got better and better once i really knew what to expect and could just sit back and relax and enjoy the film as it was, it got even better. I'm so happy with what this film was. I look forward to what's coming after this one. Um, it's hard to talk about a lot of stuff without getting into spoilers, but just high level thoughts for me. Um, all of my, all of my you know, worries, which is kind of a, uh, worry is a harsh word, but anything that I was a little bit hesitant on went out the window right when I started watching. Um, I am now a, I buy into the Batmobile now. I, I wasn't crazy about it, but in this film, I love it. I don't love it as much as you. I don't think, (laughs) I (laughs) don't know
1: that uh, there's many people that love it as much as me,
2: (laughs) but yeah, but I, I really do love this film and I will not get I'm not going to be the guy comparing it to The Dark Knight or Batman Begins because I don't think it's even a I don't think it's a fair comparison as far as quality or context. I really I love that this is so different Mm -hmm. from those films that I don't have to decide which one I like better because no matter what my mood is, I have a Batman film to watch.
1: Right and and again without getting spoilery um that what you just said about the Nolan films I I don't compare them either because and un, unlike some opinions I've heard um I don't think I don't think they can be compared to the Nolan films cuz they're this film is wildly different in my opinion now there are some there are some general broad Batman beats that obviously you're going to see in any Batman movie. And I do think you, you, you can compare beats of, of story with beats from the Nolan films. Sure. But in my opinion, Matt Reeves told a completely different type of Batman story here than we've seen with Keaton or Affleck or Bale or whoever. I just think it's, 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 it's a very different movie. Um, and I know we've heard a lot of comparisons to like Seven and Zodiac and things like that. And I even said this in my for, – for those of you don't know, that don't know, I released a, a little uh, spoiler-free thoughts video on YouTube. And yeah, I don't – I think this is very Seven. It reminds me a lot of that film uh, in a good way. So I don't – have you ever seen that, Joe?
2: Yeah, Seven and Zodiac uh, I think are very similar to this film. Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, but I got more seven than I did Zodiac, but that's, you know, um, I really enjoyed it the first time. And as you said, it's only gotten better, uh, on additional viewings. I do think this is a film that benefits from multiple viewings because the first time you go in, you're just, I think there's expectations that you have to get over. And then on on repeat viewings is just, you're, you're along for the ride in my opinion. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot that I – there's a lot that I really, really love here. And like you said, uh, I, I've kind of already given my spoiler-free thoughts, so there's not a lot more I can really dive into uh, without giving spoilers. So I think that's yeah, kind of – oh, go ahead.
2: No, I just – I think um, as far as the the Nolan comparisons without getting into spoilers, I think it's kind of like – well – Nolan took from some of Batman's greatest things, and I think this film took from a lot of Batman's greatest things. So it's not necessarily taking from Nolan, it's taking from Batman, in my opinion. Exactly. So, and the other thing I do want to mention in spoiler-free, and I'll get really into it during spoilers, but I want to talk about the humor in this film. <laughs> because you could, I could see the argument that there is no humor in this film. I think there is humor in this film. It mm-hmm. is a twisted sense of humor. And personally, I loved the few little humorous things in this film. So I just want to point that out real quick before we get into spoilers. I'm curious what you thought of a lot of it. Because we did you know, touch on a few things when we were talking back and forth. But I, I'm really curious to see what people think about the humor in this film. Or um, if they want to argue lack thereof. But I, uh, well, I purposely didn't listen to any... Uh, podcast before we did ours. Uh, the only one I listened to was Holy Backcast. Spoiler: Free Thoughts. So I didn't. I haven't listened to anything uh, before we did this because I didn't want to have anyone's opinion affect mine.
1: Yeah, that same. I have listened to the Holy Backcast one. I listened to the first few minutes of the DC Squadcast one yesterday, and then I decided the same thing. I'm going to listen to that after we finish. So you know, I'm not convoluted with their thoughts and mine. Hmm. So, uh, but yeah. I, the humor, so far as you were saying, but right before we get before we jump over that spoiler wall, um, the humor, it doesn't beat you over the head with humor. And there's not really you know, it doesn't undercut a serious moment to inject some humor into the film. But there is humor there. And it is like you said, it's kind of it's kind of dark humor. It's black humor a little bit. And, and in
2: my in my showing, nobody laughed. Like, I felt like I was the only one laughing. So I don't know how your theater was, but in all three of mine, I think maybe one, one reaction was laughter. Like, maybe one spot. There was not a lot of laughing at a lot of the twisted humor for
1: whatever so, reason. So the most laughs that I heard were in the IMAX fan screening.
2: Yes, same with me.
1: Um, and I think that's just because we were surrounded by Batman fans. Um I do think this film suffers slightly from being the first major comic book movie release after Spider-Man: No Way Home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because they're two totally different tones. Spider-Man: No Way Home is a fun action-filled yeah. family romp, and this is a dark, gritty detective noir story. And I think you have to I think you have to go in knowing the difference so you're not expecting more. Oh, let's go see some comic book fun. Not saying that this film isn't fun because there are fun moments, but it is a more it's a, it's a more serious and and gritty detective story. So,
2: yeah, I'd argue too. It's kind of we're in the post MCU. Not even post. We're we're currently living in an MCU world so i think most audiences are accustomed to that i'm not i'm not saying that as a negative thing to the mcu you know i love the mcu for what it is but i do think because the tones are so different it is it is jarring when people you know go see something different and granted this film is making some money so obviously people are still willing to go see this type of film um this is a pg-13 film that i would argue I would rather my kid watch Zack Snyder's Justice League than this. Uh, as far as the content goes, I don't know how you feel, but I think. So I think, as far as a rating goes, you can get into semantics of ratings all you want, but I think Zack Snyder's Justice League being rated R is probably a little easier to consume as a kid than this.
1: I, you know, that's interesting because,
2: or at least comparable.
1: Yeah, I agree. We were talking my wife and I were discussing that on the way home from from our screening last night and I think it depends on the kid to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because with the three teenagers that we have in our house now, um we decide we were decided last night that there's one that we that we really think would get a lot out of it and there's there the other two we don't think so. And it's not because of the content, we just don't think it would hold their interest.
2: Oh yeah, I definitely can see that
1: because it is not the big comic book romp that some of these films are. Um, but anyway, th- yeah, that's, that's neither here nor there. But um, if you haven't seen the film yet, this is fair warning right now. We're about to, we're about to really dissect the, the movie and get into the minute details of it. We're not going to go beat by beat on the story, but we're going to talk about that. There are definitely some spoiler things that are going to come up. So be warned at this point, if you have not seen the film, I don't know what you're doing. Go to the theater, go see the Batman and come back and listen to the rest of this podcast. But there's your warning, Joe, um, getting into kind of the more spoilery aspects of the film. Um, I, I had sent you a list of stuff I wanted to talk about and nitpicks was on there and you asked to talk about it first, which I think is a great idea. Let's start with the negative and then go positive. So tell me some nitpicks you had about this movie.
2: I think most of my nitpicks are what I expected to be a nitpick. Um, mm. I still don't love aspects of the suit. I still don't love the looks of Catwoman, or I, I surprisingly the Riddler is the one that bothers me the least. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, I I it, because I don't love the Riddler's look in general. So to me. I was fine with a change of his look and it works in this film very well. Mm -hmm. So to me, the nitpicks, I actually think Catwoman's look worked much better in the film than I expected.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree with that.
2: And I think Batman, I think I would say most like I, I was shocked at how much I love the cowl in the film. I think bat I think Pattinson looks great in the cowl.
1: I think, I think he's the reason that cow looks good.
2: Yeah. I, but as if that far makes as like, sense, <laughs> um, the one nitpick I have about the suit is the shot of him coming to the Batmobile where you see the suit in silhouette. No, I'm sorry. Not in the Batmobile coming out of the Batmobile to go after Oz, Um, he has this big bulky thing on his leg. What is in that? Have they ever said what that was?
0: Um,
1: so it it's supposed to be a holster for the grapnel.
2: But the grapnel comes out of his That's
1: that's what I don't understand.
2: Okay. So then it it could just be something that they did for something else. I don't know, because I I haven't seen it, but again, that's it's a complete nitpick because I think most of the suit looks awesome in the film. But like I still on paper the suit isn't great but if if i never got publicity shots of the suit or toys or statues i think in the film everything works really well
1: yeah um okay uh, go ahead you have more
2: yeah i I don't i mean are any of the aesthetics your nitpicks that you want to touch on that or do you want me to just keep going with mine so
1: so yeah so while we're talking about aesthetics i still don't like the riddler i don't like i don't like his look um Having said that, I got over it really quickly because it does fit the tone of the story. It fits what they're going for for this version of the character, but it's just still not the the, the, the look I would choose, if that makes any sense. Like,
2: No, I, I, I understand that, but I also like that our criticisms of it, that you could buy it at any store, and that was kind of the point.
1: It, it was the point because it's that this, was the
2: whole point of his henchman at the end of the movie, which made sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and also because I I really and this is the this is kind of jumping to kind of the end of the film, but we're over the spoiler wall now. So uh, the suit, the Riddler suit, although I don't like the look of it. It made more sense to me when the conversation between the Riddler and Batman at the end, when the Riddler is talking about Batman's mask and how he how he wishes he could have seen him in his and how he feels like he can be him under the mask. He doesn't have to hide yeah. and he can do all these things. That made more sense to me. I understand the choice. It's just still not my favorite. So that is a nitpick for me.
2: Yeah. Um
1: oh but and, and and with catwoman I liked her much more in the film than I do in the stills I st- yeah. I would still choose a different mask but it worked for me better and especially on repeat viewings it works better for me than I thought and I'm yeah, all in on the bat suit. Her,
2: <laughs> and you really don't see her in the mask very often no um and the suit itself she looks great
1: mm, fantastic yeah um, and the, uh the bat suit yeah, it, it was one that grew on me over time. I was really into it, uh, the more marketing and stuff we got, and I, I really love it in the film. I mean, so much as I've pre-ordered a hot toy of it. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: I, I still I like love – my favorite part is the, the collar. I love that collar. I do too, yeah. And I think – it's funny. This is kind of how I expected this to go. The nitpicks are turning into positives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I loved uh, the fact that like he wears the suit under that big bulky jacket to be undercover and then just puts the cowl and what looks like the cowl and the boots on in the bag. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a cool touch with that kind of stuff, but other nitpicks, I really don't have a lot of nitpicks. I, I think one nitpick I had on my first viewing, which is going to kind of go down a rabbit hole. That I told you I wasn't crazy about the cameo at the end of the film. But I also, because it worked for me a lot better on the second and third viewings, I'm gonna chalk that up to the fact that it was spoiled or rumored to be a spoiler for months. And I think when I saw it, I went, Oh, here we go. Here's that cameo that we've been spoiled on for the last two months.
1: Well, let's let's save that one because I want to talk about it. That's why I
2: didn't Go into it.
1: I want to talk about that in total in a a little while, but let's save that one.
2: Um, So I'm good then.
1: Okay. uh, The other nitpicks I have is I wanted way more Alfred in the movie.
2: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Um, I loved what Andy Serkis did with Alfred. And one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is the moment in the hospital with Bruce and Alfred.
2: So you can't turn your nitpicks into positives. That's what I did.
1: Well, the, uh, what I'm saying is I would have loved a lot more of that.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think he was awesome as Alfred. I, it's funny, as someone who is so famous as Andy Circus that we've seen him in so many things, I only saw Alfred in this movie. Me too. Like, and, he was Alfred. Like, there was no for, – for someone that we didn't see a lot of in this film, and for this being the only film we've seen with Andy Circus as Alfred – he was Alfred from the minute he walked onto that screen, and that was really impressive to me.
1: Well, and you can tell just looking at this Alfred that he has – there's a lot of backstory to this Alfred that we don't know. I mean with the facial scarring and the cane, which – Yeah. To bring up the cane, if you, do, if, if, the, if you, the listener, don't know this, Andy Serkis broke his hip. So that's that's why he had the cane in the film. It just worked out because it added to his character, but he actually had a broken hip. Now, I don't know if that's why we didn't get a lot of him or if it was meant to be that way. I tend to think it was probably meant to be that way because this is more of a Batman movie than a Bruce Wayne movie. Yeah. But, yeah, just generally I would have loved to have had a lot more of him. I hope in the next film we get more of him. So...
2: That and, reminds me okay, go of ahead. kind of another thing, not really a nitpick, but do you remember when the set photos came out of what we thought was going to be Oz and it was a guy in a cane? So was that actually someone standing in for Alfred <laughs> at the time? I don't know. Do you remember that though, when those came out?
1: I do remember that because we thought it was like Emperor Penguin.
2: Yep, That's what we thought we were getting. And so that reminded me of that. and I'll put this into the nitpick category because I wanted to ask you about this. You're a big Funko Pop guy. Mm -hmm. What the hell is the battle-ready Funko Pop? After we've seen the movie now, I still have no idea what that figure is.
1: I honestly think it's his uh, – you know at the end of the movie when he uses the two grappling hooks and snags those guys at the end? Oh. I think that's what it is. I think it's just badly done. Okay, because I don't know in the in the Funko, it looks like it's coming off of the top of his wrists. Yeah. But I honestly, other than that, I have no idea.
2: (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's just uh, it was something that popped into my head just now. And uh, it's not even a nitpick because I'm pretty much out of nitpicks at this point.
1: Uh, The only other one I have, and it's a visual nitpick. I still hate the wingsuit.
2: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I. We talked about that a little bit where I I think that scene would have been badass if they just said screw it and had the cape do that.
1: Yeah, I would prefer the cape glider. Um, That is a moment where I think. Overthinking it. They over. Yeah, they overthought it. They wanted to be now this that this like the visuals of him actually like as you're flying with him. I love that. Yeah. It's just the look of that suit. It looks goofy. And I know it's based off of a real thing. Uh, there are real like flying squirrel wingsuits, and they look goofy too. No matter how much fun you're having doing it, it just doesn't look cool. And I want Batman to look cool. So yeah, it, yeah it's, it's a minor thing though.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, okay, well, that's kind, of, that's kind of all the nitpicks I have. Do you have any more, Joe?
2: No, we're going to be the, the two idiots gushing over this film that if people didn't like the film, they're going to probably eye roll at us most of the time. But that's OK, because I I'm looking forward to, to really diving into this film and, and talking about what we loved about it.
1: Yeah, me too. Well, let's start talking about the, the film with the cast. Um, what did you think of Were there any standouts for you in the cast and just just generally any any points you want to bring up about these great, great actors?
2: Here's the hard part is like, by, by saying there's a standout, that means that there's someone that is better than everyone else. And I will say it was great across the board, but Mm -hmm. I am going to be, you know, this is probably a very popular opinion with most people, but I think the standout just because it was probably the most fun in this film was, was penguin Colin Farrell as the penguin was just a blast and i still knowing that it's colin farrell i don't see colin farrell my wife had no idea i i forgot to show her who colin farrell is like just to kind of jog her memory but she's like yeah who played the penguin i'm like oh colin farrell she's like i don't think i know who that is and Mm -hmm. i'm like yeah i'm like even if you did it probably wouldn't help you
1: yeah it, you know, that's funny. I have the exact same standout. I, I mean, again, it's a popular opinion right now, but it, it's it's a popular opinion for a reason, um, because Colin Farrell completely disappears into the role of
2: Penguin. Even I, his performance, like not just the look like, yes, he obviously visually disappears. But even if he looks just like himself, I still his performance is just unbelievable.
1: Exactly. He has a different way of walking. He has a different way of talking. Um, he he has these mannerisms that you just cannot. And, and the same thing with my wife, when I told her that was Colin Farrell, she's like, that's Colin Farrell. And I said, yeah, <laughs> she, she So as we were on the way home from uh, from that screening, she was looking at pictures of Penguin and pictures of Colin Farrell and she's like, I don't know how they did that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, um, he just not only did he look great, and I think that's what a lot of people are going to think, it's because he looks so different but it's not just that, it's the performance he brought through all of that prosthetic because it can't be easy to bring that kind of performance in when you've got that when you've got a fat suit and all those prosthetics on your face and your neck it's got to be difficult, and he brought it. He was really, really good,
2: and and that's where I actually kind of got to go back on my humor stance because I think his humor was what most of the audience really reacted to. Um, the uh, the batch, uh, what did he say? A uh, good cop, batshit cop, like that was his. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hey, you guys know I'm still here, right? Like some of his lines are just, they were the really good, funny stuff in the movie. That was, that was not the twisted dark humor that I was talking about before. Um, His performance was just, was outstanding. And, and honestly, I could gush about the cast. I think the cast really is one of the stronger points of the film. Everyone involved. I never thought I would say Zoe Kravitz is my favorite Catwoman on screen, and I have to say, I think she is. I I loved Anne Hathaway and the Dark Knight Rises. I did mm-hmm. not expect anyone to come close to that, but I think Zoe Kravitz is definitely the most comic accurate Catwoman we've seen so far.
0: Definitely, and she has
2: become my favorite.
1: She's great. She's fantastic in the film. Um. I love that it's clear with her character that she is not she is not um in terms of of moral compass she's not white or black she's she's definitely that shade of gray and I love it and she's got her own set of rules and and of course you know with the the big heist I love that she she has really really good reasons for doing horrible things and that batman even batman it makes batman pause when she explains herself like
2: one one of my biggest fears was from the marketing and the trailers i was really worried she was going to be like for lack of a better term this film's robin like she was going to be his sidekick in this movie by the by the final act they were going to be like working together and they I'm are... so glad they didn't go that route because, man, they it was done so organically between the two of them the whole movie. I mean, she she flat out does try to kill that guy. Um, the you know the the cop I I can't remember what that what that cop's name was at the end. Um, I love that she played that line the whole movie,
1: Kenzie. Kenzie, yes, yeah, they're. Uh, Batman and Catwoman are uneasy but necessary allies in the movie, and I think both of them are using the other as a means to an end, and they grow – there's a connection that grows between them as the movie goes on. And I'm going to say I think this is the best pairing of Batman and Catwoman we've seen on screen. I think their chemistry is excellent, and I think they work I I'm just yeah her uh, Pattinson and Kravitz just brought it and they're and they're excellent together um and I it's, it it's kind it of a cringy thing to say but there is there's a lot of sexual tension there too
2: well that's that's a perfect way of putting it is the tension it wasn't like a forced um automatic romance where mm-hmm. it always felt uneasy it didn't feel like they were in love you know what I mean where the other films kind of and and Listen, I love both of the other films that we're you know, kind of talking about here, Batman Returns and, and Dark Knight Rises. But I don't think this one had them fall in love instantly. They, they had that uneasy relationship the whole time in what you would expect from two people that just met each other in these situations. I mean, the film takes place over, what, seven days? I think the final monologue is, what, November 6th?
1: Something like that, yeah. Starts October 31st and ends a few days into November.
2: Yeah, so I I just bought their relationship because it seemed real. It wasn't over the top. It was very, like you said, uneasy. That's the best way to to really put it.
1: Yeah, and I think it started kind of as lust, Mm -hmm. and then an affection grew as the film goes on. And by the end, they're almost hesitant to leave each other.
2: It was like a sympathetic relationship for both of them because both of them sympathize with the other one for their own reasons, both of their reasons being completely different. Mm-hmm.
1: But let's uh let's move on to some of the other cast members. Um, obviously. Jeffrey Wright brought it as Gordon. He was really good. I liked it. There's several relationships in this movie and Gordon and Batman. I like that they're partners in this film and Jeffrey Wright brought a little interesting kind of banter with Batman. Like he was always, he always had these names for him like chief or, or buddy or man, or, you know, he was just, he, he never really called him Batman. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there was kind of a, there was a, uh, there was a familiarity, a familiarity with between the two of them that you could tell they had history over these last two years. That Pat, that um, Bruce has been Batman, um, and we didn't need that explained. They just worked together very well, and I attribute a lot of that to uh, to Jeffrey Wright. What did you think of him as
2: Gordon? Yeah, this is one where I, I'm not going to say he he took out Gary Oldman for my favorite Gordon because it's only been one film. Mm -hmm. But man, he's up there already. And I think familiarity and comfort, there was this comfort between the two of them that I don't think you ever really even got that between Oldman and Bale in their films, just because it was a different story. But in this film, like they were partners, they were equals with each other to the point like when he, when he does tell him to take it easy in police headquarters, and puts him up against that wall. And you could see the look in Patton's eyes where he's he's really disappointed at that moment of he thought, like, he, for a second, he lost his one ally. Mm-hmm. And that's such a great scene because then in the next scene, you realize, no, he was helping out the situation. And, I mean, it's hard to talk about this cast without kind of going into the story, which is, it, it, there's just so much greatness with with Jeffrey Wright in this role
1: well God. and at this at the same time the partnership there any other cop in that room that would have pushed him against the wall like that batman would have slugged him
2: <laughs> yeah probably
1: but being that it was gordon you know you could tell that the that relationship was there so it was just really well done
2: and gordon um, knew that that's why he was the one to do it because he was trying to calm the situation
1: exactly yeah very well thought out um john tortura as and I hope I'm, I didn't just slaughter his last name, but as, uh, as Falcone, what did you, what did you think of him? Cause I thought he was, he was really surprising to me.
2: He was great. He's probably the one that I will say, unfortunately for me, I can't look at him and not see John Turturro. Like he, he's just, I don't know. He always just has that look to him and he's, and this isn't like a slight on the actor, because mm-hmm. he's a great actor, but he's still just John Turturro to me. But he was so good as Carmine Falcone. Um, I love that they kept his role pretty close to the vest for the marketing. I actually... There was none of him in the official trailers that I watched. I don't know if he was in the final trailer, because I didn't watch that one. And he was in one little clip that I saw. Before I clicked on it, His his face was in the clip, and I... I actually purposely did not watch it because I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen any of him. I don't even Mm -hmm. want to see this.
1: Exactly. I skipped that one too.
2: Yeah. I, I loved him as Falcone, a very different version than what we're used to seeing as far as, you know, the version we got in Batman Begins, but looks wise, probably not the look that we're accustomed to. He, you know, he's a, he's a smaller guy. A thinner guy, I should say. He's not—he's not short by any means, but um, but I think he played the role really well as a as an older veteran mob boss in this city. It was really cool to see.
1: Well, see, and he sold me more as Falcone. I, I saw John Torturo as well up until the point where he had that conversation with Bruce. Yes, in the club where he's. He convinces Bruce that his father did, you know, wasn't squeaky clean. And at the same time, the way he delivered that story to Bruce convinced me in the moment that Thomas Wayne wasn't squeaky clean. And at that moment, I was like, okay, yeah, I don't see John Turturro anymore. I see Carmine Falcone.
0: Yeah.
1: And after that, you know, and, and on repeat viewings, I just see him as the character. So he, I think he he really brought it. He he killed it. And and that's, a, I sound like a broken record now because that's the whole cast, honestly. Um, we kind of both talked about Andy Circus. Uh, we both liked Andy Circus. He was wonderful. Again, didn't see a, enough of him. Is there anything else you want to add on Circus before we talk about Batman?
2: Um unless this falls under the story aspects, but man, that the scene of him and Bruce in the hospital is probably my favorite scene in the film. Uh, Yeah. The, the two best performances from those two in the film and probably the most emotional I've ever gotten in a Batman movie, which I didn't think that would happen um, in this film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Circus's performance as he's and it's kind of the reverse of what I was just talking about with Tortura because he convinces you that Thomas Wayne was crooked and you know he did some some awful things to to gain the mayoral, you know, seat and to protect his family and stuff like that whereas that hospital scene right after that flips the script, and Andy Circus convinces you know Falcone's a liar. That's not exactly the way it went.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like two sides of the coin there. You get two awesome performances back-to-back that really flip your opinion on what's going on in the story.
2: Yes, and both performances are so convincing that I feel like if we got Alfred's opinion first and then Falcone's, do we flip the other way?
1: Exactly. Which is yeah. a very
2: interesting way of looking at it too. If the situation was different, but man, yeah, it was, it was a cool little back and forth of what we were thinking about where they were going with Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm.
1: But let's, uh, let's talk about the big man himself. Let's talk about Robert Pattinson as Batman. Um, think it was a very interesting choice to cast Pattinson when they did. I think it came out of left field for everybody. Um, but going into this film, uh, what do you think about what Pattinson brought to the role of Batman? And Bruce Wayne
2: I forgot it was Robert Pattinson Two Minutes in I, I really he, he became Bruce Wayne instantly From the minute that monologue started I mm-hmm. was in um, He was so good At just Being Batman uh, Even like I said before with the nitpicks like, I was worried about that whole Quote unquote emo Bruce Wayne but I felt like it was natural. It wasn't this over-the-top, you know, 90s grunge look. No, he was just, he just didn't care. He comes home from being Batman and just puts on a t-shirt, doesn't do his hair. It wasn't like he was going out of his way for the grunge look that, like, I think we all, I don't i don't know if we all expected that or that was kind of like what they were leading towards. Mm-hmm. But I loved his performance. I think it was a very... His Bruce Wayne was a very subtle performance as far as just, you know, being the recluse, but being ah, genuine. Like, it, it just came off genuine. It just came off like he just didn't care about that Bruce Wayne persona, which is what we expected. Mm-hmm. But it just, it felt natural. Again, I, I keep going back to all of the decisions that were made in this film, even the ones that I might not necessarily have made they all felt natural whether it be because of the performance or because of the story that was being told like he he just he disappeared into the role and i bought everything that was happening with his character because of his performance
1: yeah he he honestly within a few minutes he made me believe that this batman because i think we saw him pretty much exclusively as Batman in this film. Uh-huh. I think even in the moments where he is Bruce Wayne, and you see him at the like the funeral scene and just things like that, he's he's still Batman. He just doesn't have the costume on, because he convinced me in this movie that he doesn't know how to be Bruce Wayne.
2: So, I don't want to forget to say this, and this. It has a lot to do with his performance. We got something from his Batman that, as far as I can remember, we've never gotten in any other film. When he is driving the Batmobile and calling, is it Dory?
0: Ah, uh, yes, Dory. Dory,
2: right? Okay. He goes into Bruce Wayne voice in the Batman costume. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved that. It's subtle. It's not a big deal, but as far as I can remember, we've never gotten that.
1: In the suit? I don't think so.
2: Because that was always a big complaint with the Dark Knight trilogy was when Bruce is talking or when Batman is talking to people that know he's Bruce Wayne, why is he still in the Batman voice? Um, In that situation, he's talking to Dory because he wants her to think it's Bruce Wayne calling her because he's checking on Alfred. I love that performance, though, because it's the only time that we really hear his genuine Bruce Wayne voice, if I'm not mistaken. Because even when he's talking to Alfred, he still has that that little whispery growl that he well, uses.
1: For me, there are two moments in the th- – excuse me – three moments in the film where he's actually Bruce Wayne. It's that scene in the Batmobile when he's rushing back to the apartment, mm-hmm. um, when he's talking to Dory on the phone, checking on Alfred, or checking to see what happened. Um <clears throat> funeral? Nope. Not even there. Okay. Uh is this it's the, the Batmobile scene, the scene with Falcone.
2: Oh I, yeah. Okay.
1: I think he's Bruce Wayne in that moment, and the scene in the hospital with Alfred. Yeah, and then the he's hospital. He's Bruce Wayne. Okay. Other than that, he even at the funeral scene, I think he's Batman.
2: because yeah, he doesn't really talk much in the funeral.
1: No, but even even right before the funeral when Alfred comes to see him – and we're kind of getting getting into the story now. So
0: yeah.
1: – <laughs> um, but even when Alfred comes down to the Batcave to see him and sees that he's in a suit, he's like, oh, what is this? You're going out as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And he makes it clear that he is going um, because he thinks the killer might show up at the funeral. So he's putting on the mask of Bruce Wayne to go to this funeral, but he's still – he's using it to, to go do Batman things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So even then it, he's not Bruce Wayne at that funeral if that makes any sense.
2: No, no, I I completely understand.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I I, I I just think he did a wonderful performance making me believe that this is a very young Batman that still needs to learn how to be Bruce Wayne. And even in interviews I've seen with Pattinson, he made a conscious effort to alter the voice here and there.
0: Mhm.
1: Where sometimes it's the Batman voice, sometimes it's the Bruce Wayne voice. Where he kind of he kind of goes in and out because he's still figuring it out.
2: Yeah. Well, what's cool too is in this film he's not even trying to figure it out. He's not interested in being Bruce Wayne. Right. Which yeah. makes it really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, we can get into more of Pattinson when we get into the story and stuff. But.
1: Well, let's get into that story. Um, so this well, this.
2: Do you want to discuss the Riddler?
1: Oh, good point. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean we yeah. could
2: we can get into the story with Paul Dano. I mean that's the o- let, so all right. Let's let's talk about the opening scene and the first time we see Paul Dano.
1: Yeah, because we're gonna talk about Riddler a lot there. Because yeah, you know, this film you know doesn't start with Bruce Wayne or Batman. It starts with with something that the Riddler's doing. So uh, yeah, going into, well, first of all, let's give him his due. What did you think of Paul Dana as the Riddler?
2: So his performance as the Riddler is, in my opinion, it is different than the tradition. I mean, I think everyone would kind of agree that it's different than the the traditional Riddler. But I, I do believe it is faithful enough where I can obviously see why they chose the Riddler But I will say The whole mask angle And the way he changes his voice When he's in the mask Or how he is at the end of the film When the mask comes off He even changes his voice a little bit With the mask on Um, His yeah. performance is very It's mainly just voice acting For most of the film hmm and yeah. it's a, it, it's incredible because he's so scary with his – with what little movements he gives when he's actually committing the crimes. It's just – you don't see his face ever so – there's so much to take in with his performance.
1: Well, and he does a lot of acting with his eyes. Mm-hmm in this movie like the recorded videos you get of that's where
2: i think you get the most from him is those videos
1: yeah in the videos where he's just like looking going in and out of the screen and you see his eyes behind the thick glasses and you can tell it's just like a manic glee he's getting out of doing what he's doing Uh, yeah paul Dano was while not the traditional riddler like you said um yeah he made me believe that he's a (laughs) He's he's a psycho and he's uh you know there's there's torture and pain in his in his backstory. You can tell that before you ever get it in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I thought he did an excellent job. And I've heard a lot of people again like we said about the overall story compare him to Ledger, and I don't think that's fair. Um but for the film they were going for here, I think he was a perfect villain and it, and it in a laundry list of, of perfect villains, because there's, there's not really one problem that Batman has to face in this movie. It's a ton of problems with Riddler being kind of the, the one that's pulling the strings behind all of them.
2: Well, that's what's so cool is the, the detective angle of the film allows you to kind of go through the different, the different channels of Gotham city mm-hmm. and it kind of uncovers each layer of the story as you're going where we talked about this a little bit where the detective story is almost like a means to get to the story. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to even be unfair with the story that way. I, I there wasn't a, the detective story wasn't a whodunit detective story. It was more of trying to figure out what's you're, going on.
1: You're, well, you as the audience are going along this ride with Batman. It's kind of like you're going through the detective process with Batman because you know who the killer is. You know it's Riddler. And there's reasons why he's doing what he's doing. And you're going along this ride with Batman through the story. Unraveling piece by piece why Riddler's doing what he's doing. So it's not a who-done it, like you said, but it's a it's a why are they doing it.
2: Yeah. Like why is Riddler focusing on certain things with these Red riddles because you can't see what the end game is as it's going. And then even when you think you find out the end game about the rat, and I myself was kind of like, okay, like he was the rat, like it's Falcone. As a comic fan, you're like, okay, that makes sense. That's really cool but that makes sense that was all this what and then the whole point was no like it was just to to do all this stuff to then have the big aha moment at the end of yeah it was all about this the whole time
1: well and what i like about the riddler story in this film is that his whole purpose is uncovering the corruption of Gotham City which we've which we've seen a thousand times i will admit that we know all about how corrupt Gotham is and its, and its government and its police force and everything involved, and the organized crime is, is tied into all of that. We know, we know all about that. But I like that in this story, it's not just the obvious that is corrupt, but Riddler is trying to show that maybe the people who we would never think are corrupt are just as bad whether that turns out to be the truth or not that's what the that's what the riddler's end game
2: is and, yeah, and then, it was more it was even the politicians being corrupt more so than the the police force because i love how at the end the big punchline from gordon is not all of us work for you right and it it does show you that hope of well yes there is corruption but there's enough of us still that are good cops to take you down when we need to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also like that one way different direction that they went in this story is one of Riddler's main objectives. In fact, his final objective was to attack the Wayne legacy and Bruce Wayne himself.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And his, his kind of final clue is that the, the Thomas Wayne corruption and the history of Martha being, you know, having a history of mental instability. I, I don't even though I am one of the people who does not like to see the Waynes dirtied up, I thought it was so well done in this movie.
2: They kind of had their cake and ate it, too, with the they're not corrupt, but they're hiding something. And they made mistakes, but they're still good people. And I think it's smart to keep that gray area where that conversation with Alfred and Bruce was so heartbreaking because he said, your father made a mistake, but he was a good man. And the minute he realized he made that mistake, he went to, to, to confess. And he was confessing nothing. Like, he didn't do anything wrong. But Mm -hmm. he was going to go confess because he felt so guilty about what Falcone did because he felt responsible for getting Falcone to kill that reporter.
1: Even though that's not what Thomas wanted. Yeah,
2: Exactly. Even though that's not what he wanted. He just wanted the story to go away to protect Bruce and protect his wife. And as a... As a person watching this film, in my eyes, all I kept seeing was what would I have done in that situation if that was my wife, if that was my son, what would you do in that situation to protect them? And I think that's so smart when you can make a story like that where you're seeing someone do something wrong, but you can empathize with that decision. And that that was why I loved the whole angle of Thomas you know, he made a mistake, but he was, he was still a good man. And I know a lot of us don't like, you know, to see any dirt on the wings or any type of negative, but it's still, it's, I'm trying to remember if I heard this in an interview or where I heard this, cause I know it's not my opinion of saying this, but when you look at your father from a 10 year old's perspective, you're always going to see them as this perfect human being. Mm -hmm. But when you look at them from an adult's perspective, you're going to see all the mistakes they made.
1: Well, it's like Falcone said in the movie, everybody's got dirt. Everybody's got little secrets. Uh, You know, no matter how upstanding and how good of a person you are, you've got things that people would probably look at you differently if they knew, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, I, I, I love the elements that they brought in with, with Riddler trying to uncover that dirt. Um, but ultimately that, <laughs> even though that was Riddler's end game was, or his mission was to uncover the corruption. He also wanted to destroy Gotham, which was, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people criticize the third act, um, but I don't know. It worked for
2: me. He's a supervillain doing supervillain things, so does it kind of come out of nowhere because it kind of does go against the whole corruption thing? Kind of, but he's still going after a politician.
1: Yes, and it also ties into the fact that he's challenging Batman. Yes. And he thought Batman would be able to figure this out. He also thought Batman was on his side the entire movie, Mm -hmm. which I thought was so fascinating.
2: And I loved – I think his, his manic way of, of emoting, I, it reminded me a lot of the Arkham games. And I don't know how you felt about that, but Riddler in the Arkham games had a tendency to just snap and lose his cool and, and get very emotional and, and, you know, just kind of go off the deep end. And that's what this reminded me of a lot.
1: Yeah. I love that scene between him and Batman in Arkham. Mm-hmm. Um, when at the beginning of that scene, you think he knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne, but by the end of that conversation, you know, that, and, and, and Batman thinks he knows. Cause you can mm-hmm. see it in his eyes. He's scared.
2: Oh yeah. He looks at the surveillance camera like, oh no, like this is all being recorded and what's going yeah. on here. Yeah.
1: And then by the end of the end of the conversation, you realize, no, he has no clue. He's Bruce Wayne. He was lamenting the fact that he didn't get Bruce Wayne. Yes. Because that was the one piece of the puzzle that he didn't complete, and it was driving him crazy.
2: Well, he said it was we. We didn't get him. Yeah, exactly. That's when it goes to the whole – what do you mean we? And that's when he basically says, like, oh, we're in this together. Like, you've been helping me the whole time. I can't do the physical things that you do. Like, I I needed you. And and that's when you're like, oh, man, like, he really did help him the whole time. Like, he's not wrong.
1: Yeah, and also you realize that Batman and everything that he's been doing over the past two years was Riddler's inspiration for becoming what he became. Yep. Which, is, which also really harkens back to that... Um, you know, the arrival of Batman caused the arrival of all of these eccentric villains. Yes. Which I thought was also a really nice touch. Matt Reeves did a lot of very subtle Batman storytelling in this movie, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, But let's get into some of the, so we've talked a lot about the Riddler. Now let's, let's talk about some of the other uh, story beats and we're not going to go through the movie um, kind of, Scene by scene, but just some of the more broad beats. Um, this movie was inspired heavily by uh, the long Halloween. I feel, um, especially with the Catwoman story.
2: Well, this I think or the short Halloween.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, it was a few days instead of a year, but um, but you get a lot of those beats, especially the the relationship between her and Falcone. Yes, which also ties into this big, broad story that we're getting in the movie with uncovering secrets and unmasking the truth and things like that. So, what did you think of the of the story there between, a uh, Catwoman's arc in this movie?
2: Well, it was the whole story with her girlfriend, and you know, that being the catalyst for her to get involved, I think was really intriguing. And when you see her friend's body in that trunk that was such a shocking reveal and mm-hmm. it made so much sense for her to get involved because of that but then you know she so so naturally goes to just kind of help bruce with the rest of the investigation but her her end game was to get retribution for her friend and then on top of that, with the whole relationship with Falcone and, and Bruce getting her to help him, but she's still helping herself with everything she's doing. And, you know, I love how Bruce basically was given her crap. And then when she tells him, you know, Falcone's her father, he flat out says, I'm sorry for what I said. Because he like she says, "You don't know what, you're, what the hell you're talking about." His, him saying, "I'm sorry," is basically his way of saying, "You're right. I don't know what I'm talking about." And right. he basically sees where she's coming from at that point. And yeah, her, her story, you could argue that this film is just as much hers as it is his, because you follow her from the beginning to the end of this film and see what she's been through she's been through just as much as Bruce in a completely different way. And I, I just love the whole angle with, you know, her, she's not the moral boy scout that Bruce is. She, she's, she's looking to get revenge because she feels it's the only way to really get what, get these people to, To get what they deserve because there's no – like when you find out Falcone's in charge of everything, she's like, you have to kill him. There's no other way. He owns everyone.
1: Well, yeah, and and the realization that he's her father, which I don't think is a surprise to Batman fans, but it's a a nice, oh, they actually did that.
2: Um, It's like a reassurance for us. Like, oh, good. Okay, that's where they were going with this. This is where we thought they were going, and I'm glad that's what they did.
1: Right, and and then the fact that you see that point that, that this Catwoman she, – no, she's not that Boy Scout that Batman is because um, she 100% plans to take money that she feels is owed her by her father, um, and she 100% plans on killing him at the end of the film or near the end of the film. Yeah. And she was going to, and I love that when – during that whole confrontation with the fight between Falcone and Catwoman, uh, first of all, I love that she scratched his face. That was a nice nod, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I I like that Batman stops Falcone from killing her, and then she stops Falcone from – or Catwoman from killing him by saying, you've suffered enough.
2: Yes, that was such a great line and a great delivery of it. You feel that line when he says it, you feel what she's feeling that's that's where their relationship really comes out in in parts like that. It's not this sappy relationship where it's forced you know, you know romanticism in the in the traditional sense, but it's this understanding of what each other is going through
1: mm-hmm. Yep. And I love that she realizes that he's right and she gives up the gun like mm-hmm. she lets she lets Batman take the gun from her and take Falcone, even though Riddler ends up shooting Falcone a few minutes later.
2: <laughs> and, she, and she does seem happy, like relieved that he's dead, like she is not upset that he is dead in any way. That's how I took it anyway. The way yes. that they, they they show her face when he is dead, she seems vindicated.
1: Yes. So I think there are four main arcs in this movie. There's the Riddler arc, obviously, of uncovering the corruption of Gotham City and doing all the things that he's doing. There's the Catwoman arc of realizing her past and, and, you know, uh, what motivates her and going after her father. There's obviously the Batman arc. And then there's to me, there's the Penguin arc. Of penguin going from this underling this lieutenant for falcone to seeing him on the rise and looking over gotham city at the end Mm -hmm. you know and and you can tell that he's coming into his own he's going to become the crime boss um are there anything before we move on to to batman because i think we're going to spend a few minutes on batman is there anything about penguin that you wanted to bring up
2: No, I I think we covered Penguin the best we're gonna, you know, Mm -hmm. without going, you know, four hours here. I think we could easily talk about this movie for four hours. But I think Batman is the natural point to go to because I think you hit it. His arc in this film, if you want to start getting into that, we can go there because I I really want to talk about Batman.
1: Yeah, I do too. I I absolutely love what they did in Batman in in this film because I think they did something that not a lot of filmmakers have done with Batman and that they showed progression of his character where he he started out as that batman that we see all the time that terrifies villains and he's he's all about fear and you know you know the, the criminals are the superstitious and cowardly lot and he focuses on that and he becomes this creature of the night but over the course of the film, he also realizes that he needs to be a symbol of hope, and he needs to be that hero that people look to. Um, in fact, I love – there's a scene at the end after Riddler has done his master plan and Gotham is flooding. And, and in the arena when everything has fallen apart, there's, uh, there's this wreckage that there's a bunch of people trapped under. And Batman dislodges them, and he reaches out his hand to the mayor. Or the mayor elect
0: mm-hmm.
1: to pull her out, and she's still scared of him. But there, yeah. but the but the little boy who we've seen throughout the whole film, who witnessed his father's murder at the beginning, uh, he's the he's the son of the mayor who Riddler killed, and Batman sees himself in this little boy. You can tell he does. He's the one that reaches out his hand at the end and takes Batman's hand and and accepts that help. And he, just from that, the rest of these people realize, oh, this this man's here to help us. The criminals should fear him, but we, we don't have to fear him. He's here to help. And I love that you see that hero's journey where he's actually at the end. There are people not scared of him but don't want to let him go, like that girl yes. that they're putting on the litter to take up into the helicopter.
2: Yep, Just a beautiful scene.
1: Oh, God, it's so great she doesn't I, want to let him go because he's, he's the hero. He's just done all of this to save everyone.
2: The emotion of that final, everything that happens at the end of, of him inspiring and helping those. It's just, I, I got way, way too emotional at, at all those beats because it's just showing you the power that one man is having to help everyone he can and impossible odds and it's just it is it's inspiring i know it's a cliche but that is batman and i i don't know about you i did get a little bit of darwin cook vibes and i was wondering if we were going to get something with the suit because it reminded me a little bit of new frontier oh um, with the
1: with when he scared the kid and yeah
2: yes it did remind me a little bit of that, which could be what they're leaning towards going forward. Who knows? But it did remind me of that a lot. And I just, yeah, everything about the end of the whole inspiration angle of him coming into the light, that the shot that we saw in the trailers of, of him with all the ash and dirt on him and just looking up at the sky, there's, there were some great Batman shots at the end and it's, what a way to end it where he's he goes from in the beginning where he saves that one guy and he says please don't hurt me to now at the end like you were talking about with that woman on the on the the stretcher just doesn't want to let go of him just Mm -hmm. does not want to let go of him because he saved her and that is something that i think we've seen hints at in every um like i think that's like kind of what they were going for in dark knight rises where you know now he's fighting in the daytime to be an inspiration but it's it's not on the same level it's more of out of necessity not really it's just done differently i am not even going to say one is done better or not i i mean you could even argue in bvs it's it's a different angle of him becoming that that dark person that he never wanted to be and then coming out of it at the end there it is a cool arc that batman has gone on before but in this film him going through that early on is what makes it different to me is because Mm -hmm. only in two years i love the whole angle in the beginning of i can't be everywhere and uh, i'm sorry i'm rambling here a little bit but the can we just talk for a second about the beginning (laughs) when that opening monologue starts the the inner monologue i don't know about you i totally got watchman vibes the minute it started
1: Oh, Rorschach.
2: Oh, yeah. And yeah. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the slow-mo and I I got total Rorschach vibes from that. But it, it, I mean, it's not like I'm not trying to say anything uh, to belittle it because I, I we've been dying for that for years for a Batman movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I, I love the inner monologue and I love how he says, I can't be everywhere I need them to think I'm in the shadows because I am. What does he say? I am the shadow.
1: They think I'm in the shadows, but what they don't know is I am the shadows or something like that.
2: Because he like, they're showing shots of the shadows and you're like, is he there? Is he not there? And I, at the beginning I'm like, Oh, I can't see him. And then I realized like, no, that's the point is he's not there. You're just, you're assuming he's there.
1: And Matt Reeves did such a good job of making empty stretches of darkness. Terrifying.
2: Yes. Because you and didn't know if he was there or not. Was he coming mm-hmm. out? What was in that shadow? And that's the point. It, w- it was done so well with that. But I just love that we're seeing Batman in that state to begin his career to the point where, you know, he's still going to have that angle to the criminals. But he needs to find a way to be more hopeful to the citizens.
1: Well, he and even says in, really in his in his inner monologue at the end of the movie, he even says, I have to be more. Yeah. Because he realizes through what he inspired Riddler to do that he can't just be that that one-note vigilante.
2: Yeah. He has to make it clear that he's not trying to inspire that side of it.
1: Right. And that's something that he has to learn over time because he's so laser-focused on terrifying the criminal element. Mm Mm-hmm that he he didn't see the other side of of being a hero because I don't think he was interested in being a hero up until he realized what just being that that terrifying vigilante could inspire.
2: Yeah, and now he learns he has to be a hero. And I wonder if that's going to also bring him to the to the realization that he's going to also need to use Bruce Wayne as that as that vehicle to become
1: I think so because that now hero. he realizes that he, while while um, being the specter of of fear for the villains, he also needs to be that inspiration for hope. And yes. I think Bruce Wayne can can go a long way into inspiring hope in Gotham, which is what the mayor in the movies or the the the, the woman elect. running for yeah the mayor elect that's what she's trying to get him to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the the art, the journey that Batman goes on is is fantastic in this movie. But uh, we could, like you said, we could talk about this movie for hours. But...
2: <laughs> well, so you've you got to talk about the Batmobile because we're getting along here and you're going to need to spend some time on the Batmobile. Well, so... <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I kind of wanted to get into visuals next. So one very visual aspect of this movie is the Batmobile. Um, And, yeah, I could gush on that for a long time, but I'm just going to leave it very simply. I love it. Um the sequence of the Batmobile chase is my favorite sequence in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um even though my favorite moment may be the moment of Alfred and and Bruce uh in the hospital. My favorite sequence is that whole entire Batmobile chase because they made this Batmobile a terrifying uh entity in itself. You can tell when the Batmobile cranks and it's just shooting sparks and, and it, it's like an animal in a cage pacing. And you can tell Penguin is terrified by this thing. I mean, the, the look on his face when he's watching this car rev up. Oh God, I loved it. And mm-hmm. the, the track that goes along with this sequence on the soundtrack, uh, by Michael Giacchino is called, uh, highway to the anger zone, which <laughs> is so clever. I love it. and, <laughs> it just makes your, it just makes your, your heart beat and your blood pump. When you hear this, this awesome score with this awesome Batmobile and that chase is just, Oh God, I love it. But well, it's, can, one of the,
2: it's one of the few tracks with drums on it.
1: Yes. And, it, and that's, it's a marked difference from the rest of the score. So when you get to it, you yes. can tell, okay, this is the moment I need to sit up a little bit. And I think I told you during our fan screening that the, the first one on Tuesday night, uh, I at one point I looked to the left and I looked to the right and I realized that me and the two guys next to me I don't know these people, um, but <laughs> we were all three gripping the armrests just like <laughs> like yeah. pulling ourselves forward a little bit. So that chase was, yeah, it was it was awesome to me and it's everything I wanted with this Batmobile. But I'm not going to ramble on more. I, what did you think of it?
2: Well, I, well, I told you because I we both saw the IMAX screening on Tuesday and then our second viewings. Um, I got to see it in Dolby Thursday And I'm a couple hours ahead of you So I got out of my Dolby Screening and I said man you are going to love That Batmobile scene in Dolby <laughs> So um, oh. Yeah The sound on that was incredible And I I still Superficially just looking at the car I don't think it's a great looking Batmobile But for this Film on on film the way it was photographed the way it was captured for this chase I have no complaints I have zero it was so good and I'll even go as far as to say that the fins even look more like fins in the film than they do on the car itself when you're just looking at it i I think hearing Matt Reeves discuss how this scene was shot is even more impressive um. I love the way that he basically said to Greg Frazier, where can I put a camera? And they had stationary cameras everywhere they could get one to get these crazy shots. And they did it throughout the film. They did it on the Bat, uh, the bat Cycle. They did it on a lot of different vehicles. And it, it was so cool to see how they filmed this chase. And the fact that that Batmobile going through the flames is legit. It is practical. <laughs> it's just crazier. Oh, yeah um it was just it was just an awesome chase scene. It really was an awesome Batmobile chase scene um
0: and honestly, still,
1: and you get very little Batmobile in this movie.
2: that's really the only true Batmobile scene. He drives it up one more time when mm-hmm. they go to meet Selena unknowingly at the bat signal
1: yeah he's he's he uses the motorcycle way more in the movie.
2: And he actually he does. I, is it two separate motorcycles?
1: I think he or put. Or does
2: he have the attachment on the front?
1: I think he put the attachment on at the end.
2: Okay. Because I I actually loved that, that um, choice in the film. Is he basically goes around as Batman. But without the cowl on. And that heavy overcoat. That basically hides the suit. Because it's easier for him to just kind of get around that way. And mm-hmm. then, whenever he needs to, he just puts the cowl on, puts the makeup on. I thought that was a cool choice. Um, it's oh, different. I don't think I, it's necessary, but I I liked it because it was different.
1: Yeah, and I also I would talk about the makeup. We've talked about this before, but I like the touch that that you see him applying the makeup because I, honestly, I think we're past the the uh, the Batman pulling the cowl off and the and the makeup disappears when he does so. I mean,
2: honestly, I it never bothered me. To me, I always head candidate as it's actually the fact that the cowl is that good where it does go right around the eyes. I never head, ca- I head candidate as it's not eye makeup. Like, to me, it's part of the cowl. Like, I, as stupid as that is, that's just the way I always looked at it.
1: I get it. But, it's, but I'm I okay
2: like... with it this way, too. It doesn't make a difference to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, I okay. think
2: eventually maybe we'll get to the point where they have the, uh, the eye slits um, or the, uh, you know, the goggles. Maybe. And then they won't even have to worry about it.
1: Well, there, are there any other visual aspects you wanted to bring up?
2: I think this falls in the um, visual. Did you notice Selena Kyle's outfit at the end of the film?
1: Hmm. Is there a difference?
2: The one that she is wearing when she is going to kill Carmine Falcone.
1: Oh, I thought you meant the Catwoman outfit.
2: No. The outfit that she is wearing when she goes to kill her father. Is straight from year one.
1: It is now that yeah. Now that you bring it up, I didn't notice
2: it until the third viewing. (laughs) But I saw her in it, and I'm like, "Holy crap! That's the same outfit she wears, and she's got the short hair. She looks straight out of year one in that scene."
1: Good point.
0: Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Point
2: that out because I thought that was such a cool subtle nod. Well, there's they were. There are so many Easter eggs in this film with stuff. Yeah, like that.
1: there's tons of visual cues. There's the bust, the uh, Shakespeare bust. That's mm-hmm. obviously famous from Batman 66. It's in the study. Um, there's uh, that I told I told you about it and I don't think you still noticed it. Um,
2: no, I didn't. And I'm so disappointed because literally the minute after it happened, I go, crap, I forgot to look again.
1: And somebody had told me about it. So don't feel. Oh,
2: bad. okay, so you didn't find it yourself.
1: Um, so. um no, so but somebody pointed out to me also, um the first scene where you see Selena leave the iceberg lounge, you can see the Riddler watching from his w- apartment window. But if you're not looking specifically for it, you won't catch it.
2: And it's got to be quick because I was looking for it and totally forgot. So
1: it is quick, yeah.
2: I uh, that's going to be one of those things where it's going to be nice to be able to pause it one day. Cause I, I mean, the first time I watched the film, I'm focusing on what they want me to focus on the second and third times. I was looking around the whole time to try to find things in the background that were different. And um, looking at every label on every building. That's where I really didn't see a lot of crazy Easter eggs is I was expecting more on um, like mm-hmm. the names of the buildings and stuff like that.
1: Okay. Well, let's, uh, Let's get into the one part that I wanted to wait for a little while. Let's talk about that that uh, "quote unquote" cameo near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got Riddler in Arkham, and he's he's lamenting the fact that his plan has gone wrong. Batman's foiled him, and in the neighboring cell, we get someone trying to comfort Riddler and talking about you know. How hey you still did a good job and anyway we get hints towards that this may be a a character that we that we know from the Batman mythos so we got hints that this could be the Joker so first of all what did you think of the the very little we got of this of this character and I'm assuming this is Barry Keoghan um I I don't know if that's been officially confirmed or not but I'm I'm assuming so so what did oh, you think right. of this.
2: So you didn't read the article I sent you.
1: I haven't um, had a chance yet, but I know know the gist of it.
2: So it is confirmed. It was Barry Keoghan and there were multiple scenes filmed with him Mm -hmm. as this character. Reeves said to him, basically, he had. He didn't know where this was going to go, but he wanted to do it for this film. Mm -hmm. And. Apparently he he really did not do it as a setup for the next film. That was not his intention at all.
1: I think Matt Reeves is a big fat liar.
2: Yeah, it, well, <laughs> it's funny because he says that, but and they said they did test screenings without him, um, which I will say that is my problem. It's not on the filmmaker. My problem is this was spoiled for us in rumor form for months so it took me out of the film when it happened because i knew it was coming and that's why i know me and you go back and forth with my oversensitivity to spoilers i think a rumor might as well be a spoiler because if it comes true it then becomes a spoiler and takes me out of the film
1: so See, and for me i don't know if i missed this entirely but i didn't even i don't even remember the rumors of him
2: Oh yeah. It was pretty big and it went away for a while. And then you actually said something to me months after the fact. And I said, "Yeah, that was the rumor I didn't want to tell you about a couple months ago."
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, so
1: that so I did miss it the first time around then.
2: Yes. So and then it came back like really recently. And so The first time I watched it, I felt it was shoehorned. I felt it was stupid. Um, Well, this was your least...
1: on, On the first viewing, this was your least favorite part of the movie, right?
2: Yes. And it wasn't the performance. It wasn't the conversation. It just seemed like it came out of nowhere. Then on second viewing, I was fine with it. And that's where I realized it was more because of knowing about it ahead of time i was Mm -hmm. mad than actually looking at it in the context of the film and if you you hear matt reeves talk about it he said he basically said he took it out but by taking it out it changed the ending of the film because he said if you don't have that setup of the two of them talking He said that was really the basis for the fact that Gotham city is this terrible place where villains are just going to keep coming back. That's why Bruce can't leave with Selena at the end. Do I necessarily believe that? Eh, I don't know. I I think it makes sense. I just don't think it's necessary.
1: I like it a lot. And the reason I like it a lot is because I think this is a, this tells you about some of the history uh, of Batman that you don't get in this film, this two year period that we don't see.
2: Yes.
1: Because you hear Joker tell Riddler, uh, this is what this city does. You know, it lifts you up and then it tears you down and it, that's, that's paraphrasing, but that's kind of what he tells him, yes. you know, um, but it, here's it led me to believe that this person who may be Joker later encountered Batman early in his career. And I like that setup that these two have faced each other before, but not necessarily as Joker and Batman.
2: Yeah. It's a so, weird, it's a weird angle that, that Matt Reeves decided to go with the Joker though. If you read the article, I don't know how much you want to get into it. Do you want me to tell you what the decision was or?
1: No. Cause I really, on this episode, I really just want to focus on the film itself.
2: Okay. No, that's fine. Cause I, I think it's actually better in the context of the film, I actually think it got worse the more he talked about it. <laughs> yeah. So, and I like it for the film. Do I want to see what maybe was cut out? Yeah. I'm always interested in that, but I, I think it does work in this film as a fun, and I can look at it as a fun possibility for the future. I, I think. And I will
1: it say, was. I will say that Reeves saying he has no plans to use a joker. I, I, I call bull on that. Yeah. You don't because, use the
2: Joker and never plan on using the Joker.
1: Well, you don't cast somebody like that either. You don't cast Barry Keoghan. I mean, you could have gotten I still anybody. Find it weird
2: that he's in the cast listing so high.
1: Well, I think that's because more was shot of him than we got.
2: Yeah, it, that's got to be a, a um uh, what is that called like an actors guilt thing or a, a billing you know a, a payment thing.
1: Now, one thing I didn't think about until last uh, until our, my very last viewing last night of the film, I don't like the prosthetics. Even though you don't see, get a clear shot of them, you can tell that there's something weird with his face and with his hair.
2: That's why you got to read the article.
1: Well, see, because, and, and I didn't think about it until last night, because as soon as they showed the silhouette and you could kind of see something weird going on with his face, the guy sitting in the chair beside me said, Oh, it's Two Face.
2: And I, I thought the same thing. But so I that, also.
1: That's why it kinda, I think it was, it's, it's, it's. What they chose to do with his face kind of is misleading. So
2: that's that's, – after uh, last uh, night's
1: viewing, that's a little bit of a nitpick,
2: I would say. The article explains the disfiguration, and what I didn't like was that basically he said he's not the Joker yet. And I was thinking, well, if he's not the Joker yet, why is his face disfigured? And that's what he discusses in the article, which is – I think if they went this way, I don't think people would be happy with it. So I'm happy.
1: Well, they had those test screenings, so maybe it was something that people weren't happy with. Uh,
2: According to Matt Reeves, the test screening was strictly this scene. I don't know if they had earlier test screenings with the other scene, but according to him, he did the test screening with just this scene and then this scene not there. And he said people reacted better to this scene.
1: Well, supposedly there was like a four hour test screening.
2: Yeah, that was early on so So, it is very possible that that was included but yeah i there's a lot more to the whole joker angle in the film but i like the way they did it i i'm always curious to see what else is there but i i like the way it was done um and i again i unfortunately for me i think the spoiler did kind of ruin the scene in first viewing but i liked it more and more the second and third time
1: gotcha all right. Well, let's move past the, the Joker because there wasn't really a lot of him, but maybe in the future we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about some. You know, we've already kind of talked about him, but let's let's talk about some favorite parts. Joe. What, what were your favorite parts of the movie?
2: My favorite part of the film. I mean, the Alfred scene, probably other than like the Alfred scene, the ending, those that we've already talked about. I have to go with thumb drive. I think
1: <laughs> that was that good. is
2: the loudest I laughed in the film the whole movie. No one else thought it was funny but me apparently. <laughs> but that is the humor that is right up my alley.
0: Well, I thought when
2: he funny. says thumb drive.
1: Well, it's pattinson's delivery thumb. too. Thumb drive.
2: <laughs> yes. And then when <laughs> when Jeffrey Wright has Gordon says, "Oh, this guy's hilarious." I think that's when the audience knew it was okay to start laughing a little bit. Yeah. But like. I think that falls into that. Oh, that's not MCU humor. I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at that or not. People don't get the dry sense of humor as much as maybe someone as sick as me. I don't know, but I, I love the humor in this film. So that, that was definitely the, the riddle stuff. I think all the riddles worked. I think the scene with, um, Skarsgård, uh, uh, the DA, Is that Scarzard? What's his name?
0: Oh, uh,
1: Peter? Is it Peter Peter Scarzard?
2: Yeah, that scene was tense.
1: In the car? Oh, (laughs) in the funeral scene.
2: Well, the funeral scene. Yes. But every time that you showed Riddler attacking someone was definitely tense. The the both times we actually saw him going after someone. But, man, that funeral scene where he's doing the riddles and that two-minute clock is going down – and I forgot that we see the explosion in the trailers.
1: I had a weird moment uh, thinking about the 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 funerals, the after the funeral scene when it's uh, when the timer's ticking down and Riddler's giving uh, the DA the riddles to try to beat the clock.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It reminded me of riddles in the dark from The Hobbit between um, between Gollum and Bilbo.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Where, I- if you get the riddle wrong, you're yes, going to die. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I don't know why that popped into my head, but it popped into my head when I was watching the movie the first time. And now every time I see that scene, it, it makes me think of it. So, But either way, it's it's that that challenge of life or death where if you get this wrong, you're dead.
2: And,
0: well,
2: I, and again, and he it was still another – oh, and it was another quick thing that was humorous to me. It was the second riddle was, I'm trying to remember. The first one was um, justice. The second one was the bribes, right? Mm -hmm. And he says the 10,000 and Batman goes, who did you accept bribes from? And he goes, he didn't ask me that next question. And yeah. I thought that was such a quick, subtle, funny thing. And he was so dead on, too. He's like, oh, no, he didn't ask me that. We're on a clock here, buddy. And yeah. and, Riddle, and Riddler even went along with it, too, which, he, you know, again, I, I thought it was done. That scene was done so well and so tense. And I didn't. I still like you. I'm like, OK, he's probably going to die here. But when Batman was still there, I'm like, okay, oh, maybe he's not. <laughs> oh, maybe he's not. And then, nope, it blows with Batman right there. Yeah. And I then it reminds you about the trailer, um,
1: which is which is a completely scene? different context than I thought it was going to be. Yes, from the trailer, absolutely. So, but um, so far as my favorite parts, I've you know, obviously the Batmobile sequence is very high up there, um, and the the Alfred Bruce scene in the hospital. But one of my – and it's a small detail, but one of my favorite parts of the film was Batman noticing the indention, the bloody indention on the floor
0: mm-hmm.
1: of, the, of the tool in the in the opening um, riddle, I guess, where Riddler's killed the, the mayor. And there's this crime scene, and Gordon's brought Batman to the crime scene, and he notices this bloody indention on the floor, and he doesn't say a word about it. He yeah. just sees it. You see that he sees it. And at the end, he tells the police that you know this is the murder weapon. Yeah, and it shows you that detective aspect of Batman that he's had that in his mind the entire time. So that was just it's it's a small little subtle thing, but it's something I loved.
2: And we've gone way too long without mentioning the contact lenses.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. That was such a thing. See, now this is this is something that I'm probably going to get some kickback on because I've heard all about how this film is Nolan-esque and hyper-realistic and something like that contact lens that records everything that Batman sees so he can watch it later. That is so comic booky to me and so awesome, and I love it. But that is is the kind of stuff where I see – yeah, Reeves is not aping – nolan and he's not going out of his way to make everything hyper realistic some stuff just exists because it's cool and it's batman and it makes sense
2: he did he created his own world of realism and Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean he's doing his version of nolan it just means he's doing what resonates with him for batman and most people whether we might like it or not a lot of the general public relates better to a batman that takes place in a realistic world and i i would much rather prefer the more comic booky stuff and i think i think reeves did a good job of introducing a lot of great comic book stuff but still like he felt he wanted to go more realistic with the suits and stuff like that but i'm i'm still holding out hope that we're gonna get closer to the comic book roots of the suits and stuff because of stuff like the contact lens and you know all the homages and Easter eggs that we got, there's there's a lot more comic book stuff like it felt like a comic book world yes. despite it it could possibly exist in our world as well. Yeah,
1: agreed. Well, we could there's a lot I feel like we could we could talk about this movie, but we would be here. Oh, there man. was,
2: yeah, there was something I wanted to bring up before, um, when we were, when you were talking about the con- uh, you were talking about the Riddler and the contact and the, the, the kick, uh, pl- the, what's it called? Uh, the, oh, so in the beginning, um, did you get the sense that he was doing a homage to Batman 89 with the opening of this scene of the movie? Hmm. because I was first thinking is this
1: oh with the with the kid and his parents yeah yeah,
2: because you uh, start watching it you're like oh is this Bruce and his parents
1: oh kind of a misdirect like they did with the parents I didn't I didn't think about that but I can see where you're going with that
2: yeah I thought it could have been a like a, a nod to it because once you realize obviously it's not because someone's watching them but at first I thought oh maybe this is you know bruce as a child and because we read the prologue book i was wondering if it was edward as a child watching bruce
1: right yeah i didn't get that but that's a good point um maybe maybe so yeah but either way um yeah i think it's clear that you and i both really really love this movie we could probably go on all day about it um and maybe we'll have to revisit it again soon but i think i think for now we're going to kind of wrap it up um i wanted to get kind of your final thoughts joe on the batman and a batarang rating so get give me your final thoughts on this movie
2: i love that this is now in the grand you know We have so many Batman films that we can put on for any mood. And I think this one fits in that, you know, in that library for different reasons. And that's what I love. You know, I, I can put on, you know, Batman 89 for just that love of the nostalgic movie that, you know, I grew up with, or, you know, you got Batman 66 for the goofiness you got. I still will always love the Dark Knight trilogy. I will... I will put on BVS for what it is. I I still love BVS. This is nothing like any of those films for me and it's it's just I can't compare it as far as which one I like more. I I think I said to you if I had to put like I always say Batman Begins is my favorite and Dark Knight is second. I think it would be like 1A 1B 1C for the three of them as far as Batman films go. And mm. The only reason I wouldn't have BVS that high is because it's Batman and Superman. It's not just a Batman film. Um, I love all of, you know, those movies, and and this one fits right up there, in a very different way. This is this is, though, the most Batman we've ever gotten on film in a movie, and I don't even think that's a question. I, I would love to see the the rundown on time Batman is on screen, because it's in a, a three lot. hour movie he's <laughs> on screen a lot. Yep. So i love the movie uh what do we do Batterings at a 10
1: out of 10 yep
2: i gotta go with a nine um it's not a 10 I, I i it's hard because like if i gave batman begins a 10 like would i give this a 10 i i still I, I don't know nine nine and a half it's kind of semantics at that point but i'll, I'll say nine
0: okay
1: um so for me this is everything i wanted and more um I really, really love this movie. I've loved it just even more on repeat viewings. And yeah, it's it's finally a, a very focused detective story that I've wanted to see with Batman. And it's it's all kinds of little strings and, and just little details that Matt Reeves puts in here that make me absolutely love this as a total story. And I love that all of these different characters get an arc that you can watch progress through the film. And then you get to the end and it all just ties together and makes sense. And it's just, it's it's so Batman. There's, there's a few visual things here and there that I don't care for. um, But in the context of the story, they work and I get over it quickly. Uh, Yeah. It's just, it's just for me, it's a, it's a Batman movie that I can honestly say I truly love. And I agree with you. There's, this is one of those movies where um, it it, it fits a a certain tone and it's, if I'm in the mood for that tone, this is definitely the movie I'm going for. So yeah, I mean, for me, like I said, it hit every note that I wanted it to hit and man, (laughs) that Batmobile alone just puts this movie over the top for me. Like you said, I think there are three films that I would give top marks so far as Batman movies. And it's, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and it's this one. So for me, it is a 10. I give this movie 10 batterings out of 10. And I think that's the first thing on this show that I've given 10. So yeah, I, that's that's where I'm at with it. I love this movie. It can interchange with those other two films as my favorite any day of the week, I think. So ask me on a different day and you might get a different answer as to what my favorite Batman movie is. But for right now, it's probably between this one and Batman Begins. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> um. I don't know if that – were you expecting me to give it a 10, Joe? <laughs>
2: um, honestly, no, I don't think so, but you did see it three times already, or was it four? Uh, four is today, or is, you saw it fourth – was last night? Last night. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, you don't see a movie four times if you're like, eh. <laughs> but I.
1: <laughs> Very true.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I gave it a 9. It's not like I hated it.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. No, that's true. Well, we have uh, we have gushed about this movie for quite a while now. You guys all kind of know what we feel about it. So, we we I'm very interested to see what our audience feels about it. So, if I, think if,
2: if I think if the looks were more traditional it'd be a 10. I that's the only thing I knock off the 1 for.
1: I can see that. I get it. All right, Joe. Well, the, whew, we've 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 covered a lot here. So until uh, until we reconvene again, and I don't know what our next episode is going to be, we're going to have to digest this a little bit. But uh, but until we do our next episode, uh, tell everybody where they can find you. And thanks thanks once again for for coming on, being my uh, my co host and and covering this movie with me
2: oh no thank you for having me on it's funny in typical nerd fashion it is 60 degrees and sunny out today and i could not be happier to be in my basement talking about batman so
1: (laughs) well it's snowing like crazy here so
2: (laughs) (laughs) so um but yeah now this i this was a blast of a week to to see the movie three times and to now you know be able to discuss it uh if um yeah if anyone wants to find me uh find me on twitter and instagram as j Forn 11 and on facebook as joe forno and yeah looking forward to i'm sure we'll be talking about this film for a while uh only 43 more days till it hits hbo max Um, as of
1: this recording yep
2: yeah uh 43 and you know 43 somewhat days and man uh what a time (laughs) it's just been a blast
1: it absolutely has. Um, but so far as myself, my personal accounts can be found on Instagram and Twitter at me, Carter 89. That's me, Carter 89. The show can be found on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at TFR bat If you take a moment out of your day to leave us a rating and review on Apple podcasts, uh, we would we would love that. It helps the show gain exposure and we will read your review on the show. Uh, if you'd like to reach us by email, once again, that's tfrbatpod at gmail.com. We'll also read uh, listener emails live on the show. We have a companion blog. It's called the TFR Cave. If you'd like to find that, find our musings on uh, other things, Batman, that don't necessarily fit the podcast medium, that's tfrbatpod.blogspot.com thank you so much for going on this journey on the road to the Batman with us. We're finally here. We have it. We have it to, to love and enjoy over and over again. So if you haven't get out and see the Batman, get out and see it twice or a third time, however many times go support this film. Um, but until we see you guys again, thank you for listening and keep that bat signal lit and pointing skyward. by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening.
0: So, you are a dog. I am the Batman. I'm not really great with animals. Yeah, I'm not really great with people. Probably because of my traumatic
2: puppyhood. As a child, my family was taken from me. As a puppy, I was taken from my family. So I steal myself. My emotions always check. No, no one ever, ever getting past my impenetrable defenses. Ah, what the heck? <laughs> that can't be sanitary. Every day, me and Suits hang out. You literally worship the ground that dude walks on. Technically, he flies. Batman works alone, except for Robin and Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, my IT crew, whoever Morgan Freeman played. What do I have here? (gasps)
0: Squeezy Bruce! Squeezy what?
2: That better be
0: a licensed toy or I will freak out.